need you so much, Lord. That's why we need you even more than life itself. Yes.
John the Baptist had become all bread. Oh, that I might decrease, that you, Lord, might increase in my life. Less of me, more of you is what I need. Jesus, I ask that you make that so in my life and in all the lives you are here today. In your name we pray and everyone say, Amen, Amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. At this time, um, I'm going to ask if um, Sister Paul can be here. I know it's a little bit different. It's still without our sound, but we're willing to get that back. Uh, some of you can go to pray. We're going to get that back next week. Hallelujah. Yeah, as everything goes well, we got that planned and, and scheduled. We'll be back with all that next week. I want to thank those of you who gave um, and helped with that and for that. Uh, as, as you know, technology is always something that we have to continuously you know, keep up on. Uh, it doesn't stay the same for 50, 60 years. Right. It would be nice if technology did, maybe, but it doesn't. So keep them going forward. So, uh, and, and unfortunately, Never anything that's that's cheap. Um, and so I want to thank those of you who got to give for that. Uh, we're getting all new computers, all new uh, boards. Uh, the screens will be back up, and it's going to be great. So come next week, I'm telling you, it's going to be great. Um, but at this time, I do want to have our ushers come. Let me get themselves ready. I also want Sister Barbara, who's at the table, herself to come in just a moment. But ushers, if I can have my ushers come, and uh, we're going to begin with the tithes and offerings. So tithes and offerings, praise the Lord. Um, if you need an envelope, we have envelopes in the pew in front of you. We also have our techno technology ways and means uh, within which you can give as well. So for those of you who are technology inclined uh, or digital uh, minded, uh, you can go to Tidely, you can actually download the Tidely app. Uh, T-I-T-H-L-Y, Tidely app. And from there you can just search Redemption Place, Allegan, Michigan, and uh, the church will come up and you can give. You can even give recurringly. So if you, if you are the kind of person like me, uh, how many of you guys now say thank God for wives? Uh, because they help to remember everything. Uh, because if you're like me, I probably would always miss paying on my bills because I would never remember when it was here. <laughs> so, so for me, it's great to have that recurring option. Uh, so it has a button there where you can say, just give every Friday or every week, uh, and, and it takes it out automatically for you. Praise the Lord. 
if you, you want to give me a check or cash again, you would have envelopes that you can use before. Let us pray over our time of offering. Tell you, Father, thank you again for the time that we can give to you. Lord, that we can bless you. And Lord, we know that as we bless you, you bless your people. But Father God, today, we ask that you will bless us. As we go into this very next week, Lord, let your blessings be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you give. Sister Father, you will come. Uh, I was asked this morning to have a time of prayer. And how many of you don't have to ask your pastor more than once to have a time of prayer? <clears throat> prayer is extremely important. And uh, I believe in prayer. I believe in praying. Because after all, praying is, um, teenagers should know this, and you should know this, all the praying uh, is, is, is not a big fancy word. Praying is just simply talking to God. Well, it's, it's, it's just really not that complicated. Some of you need to pray. Ooh, pray. Ooh, it's complicated. Uh, it's really not that complicated. Uh, teenagers should know that prayer is just talking. And teenagers are very good at talking. Amen. Kids are very good at talking. Amen. And so if there's one thing teenagers should excel at and be extremely good at, it should be prayer. Yes, amen. And then I believe that can go for all of us. We all should be really good at prayer because after all, I believe everyone here in this house is really good at talking. Amen. I don't mean that in any way offensively. So prayer, we're going to go to God in prayer right now. And sister of all, if we were to stand here in front and face forward, I'm going to ask those of you, she just has a need. She wants to stand in the gap for somebody. Today. Can we just stand one more time in this house? Let us stretch forth our hands. And can we just talk to God? That's what prayer is. It's talking to God. Can we just talk to God right now and ask God to bless you? And she stands in the gap to listen to this. We just ask God right now to meet that individual's need and touch that individual as she stands in the gap. Right now, sit for the hand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will right now meet this person where she is. Father God, that you will touch that person right now. That Father God, you will minister your grace, you will minister your love and your mercy. That Father God, they will receive that. And the Lord, they will know that you are loving on them even right now. Lord, let your arms surround them. Let your healing touch anoint them. Father God, right now we ask this all in Jesus' my name. Lord, may you even bless this Father. She stands in the gap for her. Father God, that you will bless her as she blesses this lady, this individual. Father God, in Jesus' name, we ask this now. And everyone say, Amen. 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 Thank you. If you ever, you may be seated once again. If you ever have a need that you want the church to pray with you on behalf of that need, please uh, let your pastor know uh, and, and we will certainly spend time in prayer on behalf of that. Amen. Praise the Lord. I also want to really quick before I dismiss and get into the remainder of the service, I want to uh, uh, just write a really quick shout out. Uh, Sister Karen, we're so glad to see you in the house this morning. Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing indeed. 
uh, 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 asking this privately, but uh, you know you can ask Alex if you make public links. Uh, maybe next Sunday, would you mind sharing a brief testimony or whatever you feel your strength is back up? Let me know, and I would love to to have you share your testimony. She is a wonderful testimony. Yes. For those of you who don't know, it's an amazing testimony of God's uh, goodness. No, you guys think that, that God just, you know, um, you know, sometimes we, we, we tend to think that, oh, you know, God's not real, or God's just kind of some, you know, thing out there. But I want you to know, this right here, this testimony proves God is real and that God is a good, good God. So maybe next Sunday, so she has enough strength and she gets herself back next Sunday. She, she don't want to miss next Sunday. Those of you watching, you can't make it today because of weather or whatever. Don't miss next Sunday. I don't care if it's a blizzard and 15 feet of snow. Don't miss next Sunday. Be here. Be here for that testimony. It's going to bless you. It's going to bless you. Amen. Amen. So at this time, our teenagers and children may be dismissed to their classes. Uh, God bless them as they go to their classes. For those of you who remain, if you will, while I have to walk back in and grab my Bible, but for those of you who remain, uh, grab your Bible, and we're going to go to the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And for those of you who may not know, the Gospel according to Mark is in what we call the New Testament, uh, which means it's not in the very beginning of the Bible, it's a little bit later. <laughs> so the Gospel according to Mark. Uh, once you find the New Testament, uh, the first book you will see is the book of Matthew. Guess what? Mark is the very second book, so it's not too old to Matthew, Mark. And uh, you go to Mark chapter number five. I, I don't know about you, but church, if you haven't noticed, your pastor loves to always use the scriptures that show up on the screen behind me as my uh, uh, cheat sheet, if you will, uh, to get the scriptures. And uh, without that, I'm a little lost myself, so stay with me, hang with me, please. Uh, but uh, we're going to get that back next week, praise the Lord. Mark chapter 5. I don't know if you can tell, but you keep me talking about how excited I am for that. I'm so excited. Yeah. I can look on the screen again and see the scriptures. I'm so excited once that's ready to go. Praise the Lord. But Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And I want to begin with verse 22 of Mark chapter 5. 22 of Mark chapter 5. And I want to talk today about how to be effective in your life and ministry. Now, I know that may seem more like a, a self-help class, but stay with me, I'm going to go somewhere, but 
how to be effective. Who wants to be more effective than your wife? Who wants to be more effective than your ministry? In your testimony. And we're going to talk about how to be more effective. What do you need in order to be more effective in your life and in your ministry? Mark chapter 5, verse 22. And I want to read the story. Because the story begins by saying that there came a ruler of synagogue. That means that this man was a, a, a minister himself. Right? He was a ruler of the synagogue. Synagogue was the church, temple. So he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a, a minister in his own right. He knew the scriptures, more likely the Torah, the Old Testament. He, he knew God. He had a great relationship with God. He, he prayed every day because he was in the synagogue, more likely. He, he was in the temple every day. So, I mean, he had a closeness with God. And yet, this ruler of the synagogue, who was also, as we find out in the Luke's account of the story, he was also a nobleman. So it means he was also a person of, of great standing, not just in the church realm, but also in the political realm. And being a minister, as you probably see some of the ministers today, you are both high in influence in the church realm and also high in influence in the political realm. He was a person that was paid pretty, pretty handsome. He was a person of some dust. He may not have been a, a wealthy, wealthy man, maybe not a, a billionaire at the time, but he was certainly a man that, that had some possessions, some wealth, and, and was certainly not in a place of any kind of poverty or anything like that. He was not a, a poor minister by any stretch of the imagination. So this man was a ruler of the synagogue, and he had heard that Jesus was this man who was doing healings and ministries such as that he was not doing. I want you to notice whenever you are doing something that everyone else is not doing, it causes them to look at you different. See, sometimes we have this opinion that to be effective, I have to become bland. I have to be the same as everyone else. In order for the church to, to grow and to be effective, and in order for my ministry to grow and be effective, I need to do the same thing that everyone else is doing. But I want you to see that Jesus was certainly not doing the same as everyone else was doing. Jesus was quite different in need. And because of that, even this ruler of the synagogue, when he was in need for something different, I want to tell you something today, the world is in need of something different. Can I say that again? The world we're living in is in need of something different. And when they were in need of something different, he sought out the man who was doing things differently. 
Sometimes church, I want to say to you that because just because we keep on doing church the same way we've always done it, it doesn't mean that God wants us to change things up. There's reason to be afraid or ashamed to change things up. Because sometimes, in order to be effective, we got to change from what we've been doing to be doing something different. Amen. Jesus was different. And this caused a ruler of the synagogue to say, I'm going to see if this man can help me out. And so he went to Jesus, and in verse 22, of Mark chapter 5, it says that his name was Jairus, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, a, a place of humility, a place of humbleness, a place of respect and reverence, he didn't demand anything from God. He didn't demand anything from Jesus. He instead fell at Jesus' feet. Yes, he instead went to Jesus and then he humbled himself. Remember the baptism of James? It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and then he will lift you up. Humility. Humbleness. There's something to be said for not being overly conceited of yourself. Amen. Being the knower. Believe me, I have three know-it-alls in my house. <laughs> Sometimes I like to remind them, you are a whole lot younger than me. Believe me, when I say I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, and drank the coffee. <laughs> Humbleness, humility. He fell down at his feet, and he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter is lying at the point of death. I pray you, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Amen. Now, I want you to understand this. This master of the synagogue, ruler of the church, he went to Jesus, a man doing things differently, a man not, not following in the same footsteps as all the other ministers and churches of the day, a man really just walking off and doing healings and doing deliverances and casting out demons. I mean, things that no one else in the church was even dreaming of doing in that day and in that time. And the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm humbling myself. I'm a ruler, you're just a countryman, but I'm going to humble myself before you and ask you, my daughter is lying at the point of death. Please come and hear her that she may live. There was already a measure of faith. Did you catch that? There's already a measure of faith. He already believed that this Jesus had the ability to do something that no one else in the church had the ability to do. And he said, Jesus, will you lay your hands on her that she may be healed? And I love this in verse 24. It says that Jesus was with him. In other words, that Jesus, by going with him to his house, Jesus was already 
by his actions, he was already agreeing that that was what he was going to do. Now this is going to be important as I go on in the story. By Jesus going with Jairus and following him to his house, he was already agreeing that yes, I am going to lay hands on your daughter and she is going to live. You see that? So Jesus' actions is already saying she is going to live because I'm coming. I'm going. But distractions came. While Jesus was going, of course, I, I can't spend too much time on this story, but while Jesus was going, uh, the Bible says that a, a woman that has an issue of blood, all these throngs of people are following Jesus and they're going to Jairus' house in order to heal his daughter. And while they're going, this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, I want you to catch that too, it's very important. She was 12 years, I want you to see this, because the daughter that he was going to save was also 12 years old. The daughter was 12 years old, and this woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. So this woman was dealing with a sickness for as long as the daughter had been alive. I want to tell this church right now, I believe God is in the resurrection business. Amen. And I believe that God is wanting to bring a new life into the world today. And I believe God is about to raise up a new generation. I want to tell you, church, today, for as long as the church has been sick and has been dying, God is saying right now, I'm about to raise up a brand new generation. I'm about to raise up a brand new church. I'm about to raise up a brand new ministry. I'm about to raise up a brand new effective organization that's going to bring about the gospel of Jesus Christ in these last days. Because in the last days, the sons and the daughters are going to be the ones to prophesy. In the last days, the sons and the daughters, I want to tell you church this morning, I believe that over the past many years, over the past uh, uh, many decades even, the church of God has been sick. The church of God has even been dying. We've been trying to get resurrections here and there. We've been trying to get uh, uh, healings here and there. We've been going to doctors of this, doctors of evangelism, doctors of, of church health, doctors of church growth, doctors of church planting, trying to find out how to grow the church and how to get the church back alive, how to, how to bring people back into the church, how to get people back to believing God, back to seeing God, back to uh, worshiping God. How do we get people back into this thing? And from the doctor, after doctor, after doctor, after doctor, and I want to tell you, say, just like the woman with the issue of blood, no one has been able to hear the church yet. And the church is still dying. And while Jesus is on his way to raise up a new generation, the old church of the day, all they gotta do is reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and there's a healing for the church today. I'm not sure why I read that. I wasn't part of my son. Let me go back. There was an interruption. There was a distraction. Jesus is on his way to heal the daughter. And there's a, there's a distraction, there's a hindrance, there's a, there's a thing that takes some time. 
Because when the woman reaches out, touches his hand, she's healed. But Jesus stops and turns her mind and says, Don't touch me. The woman says it's me, and Jesus and the woman they have another conversation. And while they're talking and conversing, it says as we skip down all the way to verse number 36. I'm sorry, 35. It says, and while they were yet speaking, it's him and the woman with the issue of blood. While they were yet speaking, there came from Jairus' house a certain person that said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master anymore? This is where the pastor sent me to a prophet. Because I'm about to prophesy to the church today that the word has already came to the church and they said, don't bother Jesus anymore. The next generation is already dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. The next generation ain't going to be able to come to Jesus. The next generation ain't going to come alive. The next generation ain't going ain't, ain't to understand God because they've already, they've already died. The next generation, the young people, they're, they're never going to understand God. They're never going to get it. They're never going to get there. It's already too far gone. They've been sick for too long. They've been laying in their beds for way too long. They've been lying there half dead. The devil has already... Can I, can I say something to you? John chapter 10, verse 10, it says that the, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now let me, now let, let, let me walk you through this. I'm not going yet, but hear me now. Notice, notice that progression. It says that the enemy, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Notice that progression. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, in the first place he comes to steal, you young people. He comes to steal the next generation. He comes to steal the and, and, and that's why church, you know, we can go all the way back to the 50s and the 60s and the 1900s and we can see that we had people that were always going to church and see the church was always packed out. There was churches upon churches upon churches upon churches and, and people were always going, but all of a sudden, slowly, but slowly, but slowly, but slowly, the enemy has stolen the children. That's right. The enemy has stolen the next generation. But you see the next, you see what he does? He doesn't just see, but, but the enemy knows something. If you just steal the children, there's a possibility for you to take them back. There's a possibility that they can go back. So the enemy has to go to the next level. And that's and that's the kill. Now, and now the enemy not only steals them, but now he has to kill the next generation. He has to kill the religion spirit that's in them. He has to kill any thought of God in their life. He has to kill any thought of Christ in their life in order to keep them from going back. But you see, that's not, that, that's not the all the profession. Because how many of you know that Jesus is, is always in the resurrection business? Jesus is always there to raise back from the dead that which is gone. Right? He's always to bring back to life that which is dead. So that's why the devil has to go on to the next level. He's the one who steals, kills, but then he tries to destroy. And that's why he's always about trying to destroy the church and everything and anything that's about Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't just want the young people. He doesn't just want some people to turn away from God and then to cure, and then to cure their spiritual life and to cure their spiritual being so that way they're all, all, all just in the flesh and, and serving after uh, the worldly things. No, that's not enough for the devil. He has to go back and destroy the entire church, everything that's about God. It's not enough just to say, well, you you no longer serve God and you're not going to serve other things. That's not enough for the devil. He has to now destroy everything that's about God. Because he knows that one little glimmer of hope can erase. One little resurrection prayer can bring back to life. And so the devil has to follow this progression. Still kill, kill, and destroy. But I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 10. He says, while the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come that they may have life and that they may have life more abundantly. Hallelujah. While the enemy has come to take life, I have come to give life, but not just any life. I have come to give life more abundantly. You want a life of abundance? You're only going to find that in Jesus. You ain't going to find it in your drugs. You ain't going to find it in your alcohol. You ain't going to find it in your worldly possessions. You ain't going to find it in the new boat or the new yacht or the new camper. You're not going to find uh, abundance in all the things inside your home. You're not going to find abundance in all the things that you have in your checking account or your savings account. You're only going to find true abundance in Jesus Christ because he is the giver of that. The Bible says in the book of James that all good things cometh now from the Father of light who is in glory. Let me say it again. All good things come from the Father above who is the Father who in him it says in the book of James, there is no shadow of turning. Hallelujah. There is no shadow of turning. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, saints, all good things come from the Father of He's the one who gives life and life more abundantly. Well, you see, the world wants to say to you, the world wants to say to the church today, Look at your church. The church is already dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. Have I prophesied right now? There's a spirit that even says over this house, the house is already dead. Why are you troubling Jesus anymore? The house is already dead. Why are you, why are you still worshiping Jesus? There's no point. The house is already dead. Why are you spending money on a new sound system? There's no point. The house, the, the, the church is already dead. Why are you spending money and try to save the building and try to fix the building? Why are you going to do any kind of remodels whatsoever? There's no point. The church is already dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. Why are you still trying to minister to people? Why are you still trying to witness to people? Why are you still trying to have an effective ministry? Because there's no point. Your ministry is dead. Some of you here in this house this morning, you may be feeling the same thing. You may be feeling like people have said it over you. But why, but why are you still going to church? Church is dead. 
But why, why, why are you still trying to talk about Jesus? Don't you know that this is already dead. Your ministry is already dead. Your ministry is already over. Your witness is already gone. Your testimony is already over. I want to say to you this morning, your testimony is not over. Your witness is not dead because in Revelation chapter 10 it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I want to say to you, the enemy wants you to think your testimony is dead because he doesn't want you to overcome. But you overcome by the word of your testimony. And when you realize that how powerful your testimony is, how powerful your witness is, that's why I'm talking to you this morning about how to be effective in your testimony and in your witness, how to be effective in your ministry, and how to have an effective ministry and effective testimony because the devil knows that if you are ineffective, ineffective in your ministry, you're dead, you're dying. But when you have an effective testimony, you overcome. You overcome. You have the victory. You have the victory. I want to say it again. With an effective testimony, you have the victory in Jesus' name. Yes, hallelujah. No father Jesus, she's already, she's already dead. As soon as Jesus heard what was spoken, he said to the rulers in the God, he said, be not afraid, only believe. He said, be not afraid, only believe. Can I speak to the son's life this morning? Yes. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Only believe. Yes. Oh, I want to speak to the somebody. Be not afraid. I said, be not afraid. Only believe. Be not afraid. Only believe. Be not afraid. Oh, I know the world of is, is, is enough to scare anybody after that. I know, I know the pandemic is enough to scare anybody after that. I know our government leader, that's, that's really enough to scare anybody after that. I, I, I know what's going on with Russia and you think that, that's enough to scare anybody. More than half of that. That's more than be more than seven eighths of that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's uh, that, that's some scary stuff. I know there's a whole lot of scary stuff, but uh, but Jesus says, "Be not afraid." Yeah. Only yes. believe. Yes. Because see, the enemy wants to scare you to death. That's what he did to the twelve year old. That was his daughter. But Jesus said, "I don't." You might be saying she's already dead, but I come out and let you know I have come to give life and that more abundantly. I have come to give life and that more abundantly. And Jesus continued on his way into the house of Jairus. I got it. Look what it says. Look what it says. And when he got there, he suffered no miracle with him, but Peter, James, and John. So the people were with him, Peter, James, and John. And he came to the house of the ruler and see the great commotion. And all of them that wept and wailed greatly. Now I want you to understand something. Back in those days, they had a weird custom. Yeah. Back in those days, when, when somebody died, especially if you had money, and you were a person of wealth, in order to, to, to make sure that everyone in the whole town knew about your suffering and knew about your sorrow, they would actually pay for what's called professional mourners. Professional mourners who would come and they, and they would mourn and wail with you and cry with you and make a big commotion 
actually paid more than this debt to come. It's not much different today than the high of paying a home and they all the people and you know, they want to make sure they have enough people to celebrate the funeral. But they actually paid more than this to go on and Mourners. And so when Jesus came to this house, all the mourners were there. Somehow they must have got the word and they must have been a little faster on foot than Jesus was. Because remember, when Jairus first went to Jesus, she was on the set. He got stopped by a woman with the issue of blood and had to spend some time talking. Amen. But then they said, well, now, now she's already dead. Jesus said, okay, let's go to the house, only to leave. Let's go to the house. Somehow these professional mourners got to go Jesus must have let them walk through. But when they got there, Jesus saw all these mourners. And he saw all the great emotion. And when he was come in, he said to them, why are you making all of this commotion? And why are you weeping? The damsel is not dead, but sleeping. The damsel is not dead, but sleeping. Now, I don't have time to spend too much time here in this, but you know, the Bible talks about, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, about how the dead in Christ are going to rise up. And, how, and it continues to talk about how the dead in Christ are not actually dead, but he always calls them as sleeping. That's why he says, wake up, O sleeping Christian. Wake up, all you believers. That's why he says to them, they're sleeping and they're going to rise up. Because God is the God of the resurrection. And so I want to say to you today that if you are in Christ, death has no victory over you. Amen. Let me say it again. If you are in Christ, death has no victory over you. Amen. Even when this body may fail and die, I want to tell you since today, Jesus, when he sees you laying there on your bed, laying there in that state of what everyone else calls being dead, Jesus says over you, you ain't dead, you're just sleeping. You're going to come back up and you're going to be with me. You ain't dead yet. There is no death that has power over you. There is no death that controls you. You are in Christ Jesus and as such, you may just be sleeping, but the day is going to come when I'm going to break open the eastern sky and I'm going to come and when I do, all the dead in Christ are going to rise. See, that's why, listen, church, hear me, church. There's no reason to fear less. Amen. There's no reason to fear less. If you are in Christ Jesus, even when this body fails you, you're just going to go to sleep. You're taking a nap. You're taking a nap now. Come on. Come on. You're just resting your eyes for a moment. And the Bible says that that moment is like, like the trickling of an eye. 
That's what the Bible says, in just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, all the dead in Christ should pass, yes. and the, immort the, the, the mortality should take on immortality, and the corruptible should take on incorruption, and it's all just in a moment, in the blink of an eye. I want to tell you, saints, right now, when this body gives up, and this body fails you, don't worry, you're going to close your eyes, and all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, they're going to see Jesus, hallelujah. You're going to see glory, hallelujah. You're going to see heaven, hallelujah. Somebody, I want to tell you, saints, right now, there is no reason to fear death if you are in Christ Jesus, because you know that death does not take you, and death does not demand from you. You control death. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I can't stay there, I'm fine. He said to all these people, what, 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 what you making all this commotion about? Why are you crying? She ain't dead, she's sleeping. And look at how fast all of a sudden they're, when we tell people to pay more, there's no reason to be even more because all of a sudden they went from to all of a sudden, See that? You see that scripture? It says they went from being paid mourners to all of a sudden it says, look what it says, it says, and they laughed at him. Yeah. And did, did it just say they, they did, did it just say that they made a little chuckle? But it say this kind of a No, it says they laughed him to scorn. Which means they were literally laughing so hard in his face, scorning him. There wasn't just a small little chucker. I mean, this was all for all the. Imagine the scene all these pain mourners. <laughs> She's dead. Just need to get over it. 
And Jesus said, all of you who don't believe, get out. Amen. Amen. All of you who want to flood my Facebook with unbelief, get out. All of you who want to post on Instagram those pictures of unbelief and satanic and all this demonic stuff, get off my Instagram. I don't want you on it no more. All of you who want to come to my house and talk to me about how God ain't real, get out of my house. You ain't welcome here no more. All of you that want to talk Jesus the most important thing in order to resurrect his ministry and resurrect his testimony. He said, if you have unbelief, it's time to get Hallelujah. I cannot bring that to life yes. with unbelief surrounding me. Amen. I cannot, I cannot raise from the dead with all the lack of faith going on. Amen. Church, I want to tell you about that. You want to have an effective ministry? It's time, to, it's time to kick some things out of your life. Amen. It's time to kick some stuff out of your house. Amen. All those people only want to talk doubt and, mis and, and misbelief. Amen. Jesus said, get out. But then look what he did. He took, he took the father, the mother, and them that were with him. Now, if you remember, we already saw who was with him, right? He took, who, who did he take with him? He took Peter, James, and John, right? Took Peter, James, and John. Now, I know y'all didn't come here today for math, but I, I, I'm gonna give you very simple math. Are you ready? It's very, very simple math. I know y'all say, I didn't come to church for math class. But this is simple math. Are you ready? Simple math. It had the father and the mother. The father and the mother represent the headship over the church, right? Headship over the daughter. Oftentimes, the scripture, the daughter, is also symbolism of the church. Because, and the next generation. Because, the, because his people, the daughters of Zion. So the church is, a, is, a, is, a, is, is, is also called the daughter. The daughter is symbolism of the church. So the mother and the father is the headship of the church. Are you with me? Yeah. Or there's two of them. Mother, father, headship of the church. Okay? Jesus is bringing in the headship of the church because it's important because they are the ones as the pastors and leaders of the church they are the ones with the vision for the church they are the ones with the vision for ministry they are the ones with, with, with the God given revelation as to how to take the ministry to the next level and I want to tell you things today the reason why so many churches are failing is because there is a lack of faith surrounding the pastor of the church in belief of the vision he has in God. Because they look at the vision and they say, well, that vision is never going to come to reality. Well, that vision is impossible in the world we're living in. Well, that vision is, is never going to be successful in this kind of in this kind of area or this kind of surrounding. The vision, pastor, is just not reality. It's not practical. It's never going to happen. And I've been told that over, over and over again. The vision is a reality. The vision is what you're seeing, pastor. It's not, a, it's not going to happen in the day and age we're living in. But I want to say to you right now, if I don't have people surrounding me in faith, I'm calling you this morning, get out. I don't need you in this house. I need those who are going to believe 
But then he also bought in. He said he only took mama, the father, he could take somebody else out. Mama, daddy, and the three that were with him. Now, now again, I know it's early for math, but here's math. But it's a simple math. This is simple. Are you ready? He had two. How many did Jesus bring with him? He had two. Mama, daddy, and three. Peter, James, John. So how many went into the house with Jesus? Three plus two is five. I, I know it's early for math, y'all. I, 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 I'm helping y'all in this thing. But three plus two is five. You want to do it the way I used to learn in school. Three, four, five. Five. So five went into the house with Jesus. Why was that important? Because you see, in biblical numerology, which means that numbers have special meanings, numbers have special, they mean things. The number five is the number of grace, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, grace, in other words, the number five means all that God gave to you because of what he did at the cross of Calvary. Amen. All that he shed, when he shed his blood on the cross, all the power of the blood that was then shed for you, that's grace. All the, all the victory over sin that he did when he made atonement for you on the cross, that's grace. All the love and mercy that comes with that comes from Jesus giving his only, God gave his only son Jesus on that cross, that's grace. And who did he bring in with him in order to raise up the dead? Who did he bring in with him in order to raise up that which was, everyone was saying is already gone, in order to raise up an effective ministry, in order to raise up a new a new generation, in order to raise up the, the, the next level of your witness and your testimony? Who did he bring in with him? He brought grace with him. Amen. Oh, some of y'all are here. Some of y'all are here. Catch up when I preach this morning. Jesus brought grace with him. Jesus said, I, I, I don't need anything else to come inside. I don't need paid mourners to come and help me out. I don't need paid anybody to come and help me out. I've got my own resources. i got my own riches. And it's in the name of grace. And my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, I want to say it again. My grace is sufficient for you. Why, why is grace so important? Because when Jesus said, if you want to see a resurrection, all you need is to have grace come in the house of you. This has grace come in. Why? Because my grace is sufficient for you. Somebody shout that right now. God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for me. But I don't have enough money in my bank account. God's grace is sufficient for me. When I'm sick in my body, God's grace is sufficient for me. When I'm dealing with struggles, God's grace is sufficient for me. When I don't know how to keep going, God's grace is sufficient for me. When I'm tired and weary, God's grace is sufficient for me. When I'm stressed out, God's grace is sufficient for me. When I don't know how to deal with people, God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for me. Somebody. I just, I just wish I had some kind of cross that stands out so we can say, yes, God's grace is sufficient yes, for me. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. God's grace is sufficient for me. Hallelujah. No matter what I'm dealing with in my life, God's grace is sufficient. No matter what I'm doing in my life, God's grace is sufficient for me. I don't need to bring it to my house and to bring it to my testimony. Anything of this world can offer. I don't need to bring it to my home and into my ministry and into my testimony. All the other things that the devil has to oh, All I need is God's grace. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now I know it's early in the morning. I'm, 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 I'm going to keep doing some math on you. Ready? I'm going to keep doing some math. Promise you won't be all math. Okay? But you see, Jesus brought grace with him into the house. Because he said grace is sufficient. I don't need anything else to help me in this ministry. I don't need anything else to help me in this resurrection. I just need grace. But now I want to ask the question how many total was in the house? See, that's something from Matthew right there, right? How many, how many total was in the house, right? Right. right. So, so we all really know mom and daddy plus three. Peter, James, John, and makes five, so now we only got five, right? So now how many total were in the house when the resurrection took place? How many total? Well, we know that Jesus was there, right? Because Jesus brought grace with him. So we, we only got six. But obviously there was somebody that was there that didn't raise him. Right? So, so there was a daughter there, so, so there's two extra. So we had five. It was an easy math, I mean, I know it's tough on you. I know it's only more than one math. Five. This is how I used to do this school. Five, six, seven. That's why I used to do it. And then I used to always go like this, loser. But no, but, but. <laughs> Sorry, I seven, seven total. So there were seven in the house. Are you with me? Yes. So five means, in biblical numerology, it means grace. The number seven in biblical numerology means completion and perfection. It means perfection in that it is completed. Completion in that that which is become is completed and is now in a state of perfection. So you see it means both completed and perfection. Are you with me? Take a bit, please. I'm gonna teach you something this morning. So in the house was now completion and perfection. Oh God, no, I can't want to preach anymore. I said inside the house was God's completion and God's Amen. perfection. Amen. I said inside the house for the miracle, for the resurrection, was completion and perfection. I gotta share the scripture verse with you because I think this is a good scripture verse. I like it. So I hope maybe you might like it. But see, the Bible tells me that he who began a good work is faithful to complete the good work in you. 
Now I want to say it again. I want to prophesy it over somebody's life today. I said, he who began the good work is faithful to complete the good work in you. I want to say it again. He who began the good work is faithful. Remember how he told you when Jesus took that first step with Jairus, he was already saying with Jairus, I'm beginning a journey with you to seeing your daughter healed. All the naysayers and negativeers came out and said she's already dead. It's all already gone. It's already over. No sense. No bother. Just forget about God. Forget about the ministry. Forget about serving Him. Forget about uh, loving Jesus. It's no point. It's useless. It's over. And, and what Jesus said, listen, I began a good work. I who started walking with you way back in the beginning of your salvation. I'm still walking with you now. I'm still walking with you now. And I'm going to bring you to the completion of what I said, he who began the good work is faithful to complete that work in you, in you, in you, in you. Hallelujah. See, when you have God's grace and the presence of Jesus and the presence of the Lord, you have all you need for resurrection. Yes. God's grace and God's presence will always produce a resurrection. Oh, some of you right there, I just said, I said, God's grace and God's presence will always produce a resurrection. Hallelujah. I want to tell you that he is about every single promise he gave you in the beginning of your life, beginning of your ministry, when you first came to God is saying right now, I am about to complete every single promise over your life. I, I want to say that again. He's right now speaking over you. He's right now prophesying this in the spirit of the Lord. I'm saying over you right now. He's saying every every sickness in your body, I'm about to complete that which I started in you. It's about to happen and manifest in its fullness and in its completeness. I am not a God that I should lie. I am not a God that I should miss the point. I am not a God that I should only do things halfway. I am the God who should complete it in you. I am the God who will bring it into perfection in you. I am the perfect one, the almighty one. I am the one who is Alpha and Omega. I am the one from the beginning all the way to the end. When I started in you, I will bring it to completion in your life. Nothing should distract me bringing it to completion. Nothing should deter me of completing it in your life. Hallelujah. 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 I am the God of perfection. Oh, 
Jesus just simply said, rise up. I want to say to the church this morning, rise up. Rise up. You can have a test. I know, listen, I start off by saying I want to teach you how to be effective in your life, how to have an effective ministry. We want to know how you have God's grace, God's presence, and you, and all you've got to do in the midst of that is rise up. And if you are listening, rise up in the midst of your chaos. Rise up in the midst of your pain. Rise up in the midst of your problems. Rise up in the midst of your poverty. Rise up in the midst of your disappointment. Rise up in the midst of your difficulties. Rise up in the midst of your stress. Rise up in the midst of it all. I want to say it to you, if you would just simply rise up, God's grace is already in your house. God's presence is already in your life. And if you would rise up, Resurrection power and grace is on you. Say it, the Lord. Amen. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. I got I to use again. Can stay for one minute. Verse 42. Oh, I love this verse. I love this verse. Ooh, how I love this verse. How I love this verse. Because it says, and straightway. Now, I don't want to make you a whole fashion book, but let me, let me help you out with that one means. The word straightway means immediately. Amen. It, it, it doesn't mean over a course of some time. Yes, Jesus didn't say, the Bible didn't say that, that over the course of you know, some seasons of her getting stronger in body and her having medicine and, and taking some pills and, and going to doctors and, and you know, doing some surgeries and, and all that. No, no, no. It says, and straightway, immediately. I want to tell you, church, today, we still serve the God of the immediately. What God can do over time, God also says, I will do in a moment. I can do right here, right now, in this very second. I can take care of your problem right here right now. I can take care of that situation you're in right here right now. I can take care of that pain and sickness right here right now. I can heal. I can deliver. I can cast out those bondages and addiction that, that drugs and alcohol. I can take care of it all right here right now. I am the God of the immediacy. I am the God of the immediately. Hallelujah. And straightway she got up and it says that she began to walk it says, and straightway the damsel rose up, walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. Amen. Amen. Now, I know I already brought this up a little bit, but I'm going to bring it up again. See? The Bible is built by the Holy Ghost. Yes. It's by the Holy Ghost. But these men who actually use their hands, scribe, they were unlearned. Luke had some education. But most of them were unlearned men. They didn't have, they didn't have much schooling. 
They didn't have a whole lot of education. They didn't go to college. They didn't get their PhDs. They were going to learn. Now, yeah, I, I, I went to college a little bit. And one of my hated classes, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I didn't mind math, I could do math. You know, five plus two, seven, I could do math. Praise the Lord. I didn't mind science, that's all I had. Interesting to learn about gravity, especially when we had a Boston campus that had some, hey, gravity works. <clears throat> that was a joke for those of you that can't tell. But then my science, the one, the one class I hate, I hate it, I hate it. But if there's any teachers out there, I'm sorry. It's just me. It's just me. I hated English class. Hey. First of all, I used to always say, why do I gotta take English? I already know how to speak, speak English. That doesn't make any sense. Well, you gotta learn how to write. Well, I want to call it writing class, not English class. That's what I'm going off on a tangent now. Let me get back to the point. These were unlearned men. Now, <clears throat> while I hated the class, I did learn some things. And you know, you learn proper ways of writing. One of the things I learned about narrative writing, which is writing a story, or narrative, you know, writing a story. When you write a narrative, you always want to provide the details of the people in your story, especially the main characters. You want to provide details about them in the beginning of the narrative that helps to build the story, right? You want to explain the characters of who they are and what they are in the beginning, so that way you're not just saying, oh, there's a woman, and then, you know, at the end of the story, oh, by the way, the woman's name was Sue. It doesn't make sense, right? You, 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 want, you, want, to, you want to begin the story, right? You, you want to add the details of the end. So, this is seemingly weird that we have this story, and at the end of the story, Mark is now going to tell you the girl's age. Because if you were a contemporary writer, writing under the modern rules of writing today, you would have given her age at the beginning of the story. Are you all with me? But Jesus, but, but the Holy Spirit here has Mark put the age of the girl. And in fact, it seems as though this was just a, a side point. Like if Mark didn't mean to say it, was, it's kind of a side point. And if you look at that scripture book, it says she, she rose up and she walked. Now that was the miracle. That was the main point. That was the healing. Are you ready? And then it's got a, like, like a side point. Oh, and by the way, she was 12 years old. So you see, at first glance, you would first of all say, this writer doesn't know how to write good stories. Because he shouldn't have put the age in the beginning, not at the end. Secondly, he just kind of threw that in there. Because it seems like he was just thrown in there at a last minute resort to make the verse a little bit longer. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit never does anything by accident? Everything that is written in the, everything that is written in this book was on purpose by God. Everything, every word, 
every A, every I, was on purpose by God. And it says she was 12 years of age. Now, and I told you number five is the number of grace. Number seven is the number of completion and perfection. I know I got it quick, my time's up. Number 12 is the number of divine government or divine effectiveness. You notice there's 12 tribes of Israel that represented the whole entire government of God's people. God, God never wanted there to be one king. He always said, I want there to be 12 tribes. They said we want a king, but God said, no, you, you should have 12 tribes. 12, because that's the number of divine government. When Jesus came into the earth and manifested in body, as he sought to begin his ministry, he began his ministry by collecting unto himself 12 disciples. Again, the number divine government, divine effectiveness, as the number of ministry, divine government. In order for Jesus himself to do ministry on the earth, he had to have a leadership of 12. And if 12, that's the biblical number. If you go even into heaven and you want to see about heaven, and we look in the book of Revelation, it tells us in the book of Revelation when John sees the vision of heaven and he sees all the different things going on in heaven, he finds up in heaven 24, which is a divisible number of 12, which means the double divine government. Come on, somebody, somebody yes. have a this morning. Yes. So, in other words, 12 is the number of divine government, it is the number of, of, of effectiveness in ministry. And here it says, right here, it says, and she was 12 years of age. When Jesus rose her up from the dead, oh, I'm going to preach right here. Because, see, the devil always wants to kill you and take you out right at the beginning of your effectiveness. Oh, y'all didn't know that If you are here in this house this morning saying, Pastor, you don't know all the stuff I'm going through in my life. I feel like right now I'm dealing with so much more stuff in my life than I've ever had to deal with before in my life. I feel like I'm having to go through so much more stress and so, and so much more stuff than I've ever had to go through in all my years before. Can I just say to you right now, that's because the devil is trying to kill you because he knows that you are about to enter into the age of your greatest effectiveness of ministry. Come on, son. I, mean, I wish I had somebody who would see that word right there and stand at your feet. I want to tell you the devil is trying to destroy you right at the beginning of your most effectiveness. In Pastor, I'm already old in age. Pastor, I've already done all my ministry. I want to tell you your ministry ain't over yet. God's saying you, you are right here at the beginning of the most effective age of ministry that you will ever be in. Hallelujah. I want to say it again. The greatest effectiveness of your ministry and your testimony is about to begin now. You may have done some good ministry before, you may have done some good ministry in years past, but I'm telling you right here, right now, this is the beginning of your most effective ministry yet to come, and that's why the devil's trying to kill you now, that's why the devil's trying to take you out now, but I came out to let you know there's a resurrection happening, there's a resurrection coming, hallelujah, and right now, at the beginning of your effectiveness in ministry, God's going to raise you back up, and you are going to see the greatestness of your food. Hallelujah. Somebody, hey, what a preacher this morning. Hallelujah. 
and what she was 12 years old as the age of the greatest effectiveness of ministry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God said at the beginning of your I'm going to raise you back up. I'm going to raise you up. I want to tell you, church, today, I know the people that have said to me, your church is here. Don't bother Jesus no more. The church is already there. And I want to say to you, if my church is there, then I thank God I serve a resurrected Come on. And if I'm dead right now, then that must mean that right now I'm at the beginning of our most effective phase yet. And I promise I'll have one more time. I said this church is at the beginning. We have just now come to the age of being our most effective yet. I want to say that again. Your testimony is right now at the age of being its most effective yet. Somebody receive that right now from the Lord. You are right here right now at the beginning of your most effectiveness yet. This is your most effective place right here, right now. This is your most effectiveness right That's why the enemy is trying to kill you now. That's why the enemy is trying to kill the church now. That's why the enemy is trying to kill Christianity around the world now. That's why it's so much worse against the church today than it ever has been in all the years past. Why? Because he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But I came out to let you know, Jesus says, there is life there. There's a resurrection there. Don't worry. You are at the age of 12. There's about to be a divine effectiveness coming into your ministry. There's a divine effectiveness coming into your testimony. There's a divine effectiveness. So don't be ashamed to open your mouth and testify of God. Don't be afraid. Only believe and share what God has done in your life and what God is doing even right now because right now is the greatest effectiveness of your testimony that ever will be. Somebody give the Lord some praise. I don't have that good music because the sound system, but you want to just do the whole motion sound? I don't know if I can't do that. 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 I don't know if I can